Full Service Radio is proudly supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to publish and distribute audio on the internet. For more information, visit Simplecast.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to BYT Radio. My name is Brandon Weatherby. BYT Radio stands for Brightest Young Things Radio. Brightest Young Things is an arts and culture website based out of Washington, D.C., with a presence in New York and Chicago. We also throw events. One of the events is next week, and one of the people in the room that's attached to one of those events is in the room. That's a weird way to mention one person twice, and I'd like to apologize. He does not exist yet, and I will introduce him. You know him, or you don't know him, and that's why you're listening, and I appreciate you for doing that. You know him as... um, I'm gonna I'm gonna say really nice things about you right now, Derek, okay. and people are, and that is probably gonna make you feel uncomfortable. And I'd like to apologize before I begin, but here we go, anyways. The most successful bartender in the in the country because he owns Columbia Room, which is one of the most respected best bars in the world, and he owns Pop Up Bar, which is the uh, bar that has the biggest lines consistently in Washington D.C. That does not count sporting arenas. Derek Brown is here. Derek, how are you? Hello, how are you? Welcome to be. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> is that offensive? Um, not offensive, but is like, is it too much praise? Am no, I lying? It's actually. I even if I was, I'm not. But even if I was the most famous bartender. In the world, I could walk down the street and nobody would know. Yeah, so, like, that's it's true. Like a small fame, you know. True, true, true. But you have been able to do something that most bartenders can't, which is um, use your knowledge of cocktails into an educational form, but also a very commercially successful form. Usually, it's one or the other. You're not just an educator. You're not just a tchotchke purveyor of. Um, I'm trying not to insult you at the same time. Insult as, away. No. <laughs> okay. Do you know? Remember, I'm a bartender. I have thick skin. <laughs> do you know what Buca de Beppo is? Yeah. Okay. Buca de Beppo is this mini chain. It's like 25 stores around the country. There's one down the Good street. Garlic bread stuff. There like you go. And it was created by. There's this wonderful piece I want to say in Eater about the history of Buca de Beppo. And Buca de Beppo's whole gimmick is uh, there are no like sauce places in Minneapolis in the early 90s. So what we're going to do is like this Lutheran dude that is not Italian was like, I'm going to open up this super Italian place and we're going to like overemphasize the Italianness of it even though we're not Italian and that's Buca di Beppo and it's relatively popular and has been for 25 plus years and it's a little bit more popular than like Olive Garden in terms of customer loyalty yep. and the tchotchkiness nature of it right when I think of pop-up bar specifically the Christmas things and the Hanukkah things which is in the same roof it's the most Christmas it's the most Hanukkah it's the most over the top jammed into these three rooms possible that's right and then when I think of Columbia Room <laughs> I think of nothing just jammed into the place and everything is very specific and gorgeous and beautiful and more like you're in a very beautiful, fancy library. Mm-hmm. And that's a compliment versus like there are Chinese takeout menus and menorahs everywhere <laughs> in the other ones. And But at the same time, you're you're presenting the same product. You're, at the end of the day, you're presenting cocktail culture. Is that true? That's right. Yeah, I think ultimately, I mean, in terms of the pop-up bars, it is way more popular and... In, in that way, more accessible. I mean, yes. you can definitely, um, it's easier to imagine yourself going into a, uh, a room full of Christmas that's been thrown up all over the place and get a, a drink. Then sometimes something like the Columbia Room can be intimidating to somebody who doesn't really understand how you're supposed to behave there, what you're supposed to order. And I can understand that. And, and yeah, but ultimately, at the end of the day, we're making quality products in each one. We're using the same methodologies to create it. Well, this, this is also something that people... I don't think remember when they write about food and drink all the time is mostly we're using, we're talking about the same products mm-hmm. and when we're talking about spirits, we're definitely talking about the same products. Right. Um, there's only a handful, not a handful. But there's only so many different types of product you could right. have. There's only so many types of bourbon. There's only so many types of club soda. Mm-hmm. We shouldn't, we shouldn't put our nose down. We shouldn't, we shouldn't ostracize people that, uh, just like a shot in a beer. There's absolutely nothing wrong with right. it. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with liking a cocktail that has 18 ingredients. That's right. Uh, one of the funny things is, um, in my book, I have, um, a, a, a point about that. When I started out as a bartender, I was insufferable. Like I was like, it must be quality. It has to have, you know, fresh lemon juice. And you're an idiot if you drink vodka soda, you know, and I feel so dumb for thinking that stuff. I mean, but it was like a necessary thing to kind of like wrench cocktails out of the obscurity that they had fallen into in the dark ages of the 70s and 80s, you know. Um, but now, 
drink anything you want is my philosophy. But if you want something really good, I'll happily help you with that. So that's the reason why you're on the show today. It's actually not to talk about Columbia Room. It's not to talk about Pop-Up Bar. It's to talk about your brand new book, Spirits, Sugar, Water, Bitters, How Cocktail Conquered the World. That's right. Now, let's trace back your... uh, your bartending slash cocktail man life yeah. <laughs> into the book, if that's okay. Okay, yeah. Uh, where do you grow up? Where did I grow up? Yeah, where'd you grow up? I grew up, in, I was born in D.C., and I grew up in Olney, Ashton, Maryland. So, okay, so uh, not sort of, that far. Not that far, yeah, not about that 45 far. minutes outside of D.C. Do you go to college? Uh, I did, I never finished. That's fine. I did. I, I studied anthropology. Which so. is perfect, and we'll get to that in a second. Yeah. Uh, when did you start working in the service industry? I was uh, 16 years old, so now that's um, almost uh, t- uh, 30 years ago. Okay, so 16-year-old, what are you doing? Uh, nothing. Like, uh, you know, and for the next decade, I would be a shiftless loser. I mean, like, nothing. I, uh, at 17, I dropped out of high school. Um, I just wanted to travel around, do stuff. I think I was, like, a little excited about, like, progressive politics. So I was, like, running around like I'm an anarchist and um, uh, I'm into animal rights. And whatever I was doing at the time, it was it was just kind of, I don't know. I'm not the same person. But I like it. You're I, you not know, supposed I'm, to be the same person <laughs> yeah. you are at 17 or 16. I want to make that very clear. I'm a decade younger than you. Uh, Unfortunately, I am still very much that 16-year-old person. <laughs> I want to shake a lot of that. Yeah. I want to shave that off. Anyways, I'm not willing to shave right now, though. Yeah, no problem. Uh, um, so, w- 26, you're starting to no longer be a shiftless loser. Yeah, it was It was at the, right around that age. Actually, 27 technically. But I, um, I was like, you know what? I got to do something. You know, I don't have any money in my bank account. Um, I don't have any kind of forward you know, idea mm-hmm. in my mind of what I want to be, although I always wanted to be a writer. Um, so that was there. Um, I walked into this bar. Um, I originally was a, a waiter there at Rocky's Cafe. It was in Adams Morgan, not far from here, actually. And um, I ended up becoming a bartender. And I said to myself, I don't know who is the best bartender in the world, but somebody is literally the best bartender in the world. And I don't know why that shouldn't be me. Um, now, uh, in no stretch of the imagination am I the best bartender in the world. But, you know, shoot for the moon, end up on the stars. I think I'm certainly uh, a pretty good at my job, or was pretty good at it. I don't really bartend anymore. Well, in 1999, when we're referring to, there really wasn't the cocktail culture that there is now. Right. In fact, I want to say that it maybe even peaked five years ago in yeah. terms of the celebrity mm-hmm. cocktailologist. Is <laughs> yeah, that the co- word? Cocktailologist. The names that people come up with are hilarious. What do, what do you prefer? I, you know, it's there's no there's no right word at this point. People call me a, a mixologist mm-hmm. because I don't bartend. Uh, some people actually say I'm a bartender, but I don't yeah. bartend. So bartenders will be pissed off that I'm called Understood. that. I'm not a shift bartender. Um, you know, there's no equivalency for like a chef. Chefs are chefs no matter what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll just I you know sometimes I come up with this clunky phrase like cocktail and spirits expert. That's a that's a really really good way to classify you. Yeah. In 1999, you are a shift bartender. Yeah. How long does it take to get to become a cocktail expert? Because not many years later, you've be, you were known as like the dude that did these things. Right. I would say it's really 2004 that I made a significant switch in my perspective on drinking and cocktails. Up to that, like when I first started bartending, all there was, like people would come up and they'd say, I want a vodka soda. I said, like, perfect. I know what a vodka and a soda is. Same. Jack and Coke, perfect. Jack and... Then I'm sitting in Rock- or, um, Rockies. Actually, literally, sometimes I would sit behind the bar and smoke a cigarette. That's the weird thing. You used to be able to like smoke behind the bar. You shouldn't be able to, but you used to be able to. And I'm, um, somebody comes in, this guy named Don, um, who works next to our Cashins, um, and he says, I have a Sazerac. And he might as well said, have said the word Xanadu to me. I had no idea what he was talking about. Um, but he had worked in New Orleans, and so he sort of filled me in on it. And none of those ingredients were behind the bar. Rye whiskey was not behind the bar. Now, rye whiskey is now 500%, sells 500% more than it used to. And every major like bourbon has a rye equivalent as well. But back then, you couldn't get it. Maybe Old Overhaul, if you're lucky. And showed bitters and all the things that go into Cesar, I couldn't find them. You know, absinthe was not real at that point. It was a fake absinthe. And you were lucky to even get that. So that kind of piqued my interest. And from there, I started learning and learning and learning. I, then I went to a bar, a bar 
uh, in a restaurant called Palena. And it was so beautiful. The bar was so beautiful and it had all these like Amaros behind it long before bartenders would take them and make them their evening um, shot. And I, they were just like really intrigued me and so I started learning about it. I learned everything I could. Um, I started writing about it. I had a little blog. It was like one of the first you know, DC blogs about cocktails and certainly like a, a small group in the country at the time in 2004 called DC Drinks. And, you know, we wrote like, can I, can I cuss? Absolutely. We wrote like assholes, you know, like we were just totally, me and my friend Damon, um, we were really into cocktails and we were really into being, I don't know, in your face about them. Um, and so that really was the turn, you know, and I was like a soldier for the movement. You know, I was like, we're going to make cocktails famous again. But what's funny is that, unbeknownst to me, this is already happening. Of course. Like, Dale DeGroff had already, you know, uh, uh, took a shot across the bow, and, um, you know, I was just kind of joining in. And then um, it was nice at that moment, and I started to reach out and see all these people doing different things with cocktails, whether they were writing about it in, in their uh, websites, like drinkboy.com by Robert Hess. Um, or people like Ted Hay, who are writing books, Audrey Saunders, who opened Pegu Club uh, in New York. And I was like begging them to learn from them. Like I literally told Audrey Saunders that I would take out the trash every, like every night if she let me work behind the bar. And what she said to me was, we already have somebody to take out the trash. Yeah. Now her and I are, are, are friends. And, you know, it's wonderful to look back. But, um, you know, back then I was just really into it. Like, uh, like I said, insufferably so. 15, that's 15 years ago. When you were doing that 15 years ago, did you think 15 years previous to that, that the 17, the 16-year-old version of you that was the anarchist punk kid would want to be in the spirits field because uh, cocktails for a long time were considered for the type of people that wouldn't listen to certain types of music, that wouldn't have tattoos on their arms. That oh, absolutely. wouldn't be certain parts of the DC scene when it comes to real DC. Was there any um, cultural pushback inside of you when you got into this world yeah i think that there was like there was this sort of weird shift where i felt like i almost had to disown part of my past i was a straight edge kid you know what i mean and i was really into punk rock and that had nothing to do with cocktails in fact it was almost antithetical to cocktails um and so i felt like i kind of had to disown it um so when you first see like me coming out as a bartender and even if you look back on the byt blog and like my drink diary I'm dressed up in like a bow tie. I'm trying to like look a different part. I'm trying to be a professional. I'm trying to show people that this is something serious. I'm very serious at the time. Um, and then I um, started working with my um, uh, now CEO of drink company, Angie, uh, then Featherston, now Salome. And um, she was like, that's, that's not you. Like it's funny because at night, like when you take off the bow tie, you're a totally different person than you're acting like during the day. Um, and that was true. Um, so I kind of like made this, uh, from then on I decided to really integrate those things and they don't have to be incompatible. I can be into all of these different things. This is uh, right around the time of Mad Men. Mm -hmm. Do you think the success of Mad Men, the slow burn of Mad Men, it premieres on AMC, no one really watches it, it goes on Netflix, everyone kind of starts to watch it. That's when I start noticing certain cocktail bars are much more popular than they were mm -hmm. two years prior. Do you think that cultural shift had anything to do with actually putting butts into seats in cocktail bars? Absolutely, yeah. The Mad Men made things like old fashions famous again. And, you know, people really love the style around it and all of the you know, um, all the drinks that came with it. Now, ironically, that is the most sexist, homophobic, racist um, time in history. It's not really laudable for many things, um, but for cocktails, it was great. Also stylistically. Yeah. Stylistically, everyone in that show, regardless of their social stature, looks great. Yeah. And I think that's maybe subconsciously, that's also what you were doing. You're like, well, I'm going to look like a gentleman from the 1920s. Exactly. Yeah. And that, you know, that was part of the whole veneer of early cocktail bars mm -hmm. is that you had to like dress bow ties, suspenders. You had to kind of like um, adopt this, you know, dress that was uh, si signaled. I'm a, I'm a cocktail bartender. Mm -hmm. I'm not just any bartender. You know, you didn't, there was like all of a sudden there was a shift before that you had a black shirt if you're a bartender. You know, that was about it. 
Um, some places had ties and stuff if they were high end, but mostly people worked in a black shirt. Um, we refer to that era as the black shirt bartending. Um, and then all of a sudden people were like dressing up and looking fancy. In fact, they were like ahead of style in some ways. Now, um, and they, you know, kind of look like newsies. Yeah, that's enough. a really good way to describe it. Um, I was like, I'm going to put on a bow tie. Maybe I won't wear this dumb news cap, newsy cap. But um, yeah, I think it was, and and it was a way to distinguish ourselves. It's, it was a way to to say that you know this is a movement. This is something different. Um, I'm glad that it's settled into its skin. I'm glad that we can be who we are, um, and we don't have to feel that it's um, antithetical to other interests. Um, but yeah, that was a moment. That was an identifiable moment. Let's go a little bit further. Let's get into the uh, the current decade. Okay. Early 2010s, um, I know you. I come to D.C., and I, I already know of you before I'm here. You're getting really nice write-ups. Everyone seems to know who you are. People are excited about what you're going to do. Mm-hmm. I remember when you opened three restaurants in one location under one address. Um, there was a sherry bar. Yeah. There was a lot. There were three different concepts as well. I think you had a shared back room, maybe. Yeah. I don't remember. That's right. I never worked there. Yeah. Um, that wasn't like a weird, subtle dig. I never wanted to work there. No offense. No. I, mean, it just, it just, I just happened to never work there. Um, you at a, After a few years of that, you opened Columbia Room. I think I'm getting the timeline a little mm-hmm. screwy here. Uh, a few years after that, maybe less than a year after that, pop-up bar exists. Your 2010s are very successful. You're very busy. Mm-hmm. At one point, you're collaborating with the Smithsonian? The National Archives. The National so, Archives, all about drink stuff. Yeah. Your last decade has been very good. Yeah, it's been pretty good. It's yeah. been pretty good. I can't complain. The reason why all these things come into play is because this is the book. This is yeah. why you're here technically today. And I feel like the book kind of encompasses all of this. You don't get the book without all of you. Right. Okay. That's the thing about the book is that um, it, it is based off this um, uh, series of seminars that mm-hmm. I did at the National Archives alongside their Spirited Republic exhibit, which was about the history of alcohol in America. Mine added the cocktail element in a series of seminars. There are 30 different experts, uh, 10 different seminars going from before the cocktail to the present age, which we call the platinum age. And um, during that, during that, there was such great information. You know, there was so much, um, like nothing before that. I mean, you have Tales of the Cocktail, which is a you know yearly event that happens for craft bartenders. And there's so many great seminars here, but this is under one roof, in one, you know, succession. They were the best minds in drinking and cocktails. For the people that don't know what we're referring to, was this 15 or 16? 15. It was 2015. Uh, I was. I remember being at one in the summer of mm-hmm. 2015 because this was not 10 days in a row. This was months, right? No, it, it, was, it was 10 months. 10 yeah. months. I think that's another thing that separates it. You actually had time to ruminate on what this is. You had time to like actually go in depth with each individual person that you want to go in depth with. Unlike, say, a convention where it's three right. days or, or ten days, whatever. Um, that's another thing that kind of gives you even more expertise. You had time to ruminate while also maintaining your jobs. You were essentially able to go to grad school for cocktails. Yeah, this was, the this was, this was grad school for cocktails. And we had people like David Wondrich, Dale DeGroff, Julie Reiner, um, uh, Dwayne Sylvester, people from here and from um, across the country who were just well-known experts. And it was, it was amazing. Uh, the problem is, we didn't record it. Why didn't you record <laughs> it? And it was just like a shit moment. Like, oh, man, I can't believe we did that. I don't know. We were so excited about the content that we forgot that we should re- re- you know, preserve the content. And so there were like a couple ones that were recorded like via video. I think there was two. Um, but otherwise, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't kept. Um, it wasn't recorded. And so by the time you know, it got to my book, I was like, we need to really, I got to remember what they said. Yeah, <laughs> you know, that like, would be helpful. I, you know, and I couldn't but I remember everything. So I said, you know, this book is going to be um, about two things. It's going to be about this, um, these different discrete periods in history uh, that have to do with a cocktail. And it's going to be about me. Okay. Um, and so in that way, the story uh, encompasses my story to some degree. It's not like a biography per se, but, but I think you hear my voice throughout it. You know, I'm not in different uh, historical perspective. Do you think this series could have happened if you were doing it in 2019? Because in 2015, I, th- I want to say we were uh, a very... The city felt different. Yeah. I was here, you were here. Um, I don't think anyone predicted where we would be now. Mm-hmm even though that was just starting. Yeah. 
Um, and this is a very loaded question. I'd like to yeah. apologize before I begin, but either way, I'm <laughs> going to ask it. Alcohol is very dangerous for very obvious reasons. Yeah. And the way we consume alcohol is uh, maybe not the best when we're under stressful situations. Of course. I am not going to speak for everyone in Washington, D.C., but I will happily speak for myself. The most tipsy I've been were from probably <laughs> November 9th through February 1st, 2016 to 17. <laughs> I never remember being sober during that period, right. but I never blacked out. I was just consistently three drinks in. Does that make sense? Uh, absolutely. I've spent weeks like that. That's not a good thing no. to live by-ish. No. I'm just talking now. That's not a good way to live. Not at all. I don't regret it in any way. Maybe I should. Yeah, no. If this series happened during that time, I think it maybe wouldn't have been as helpful as it was in 2015. Yeah, our perspective has changed. My perspective has changed. Mm-hmm. I, I, at Tales of the Cocktail this year, I'm doing a, um, I'm moderating a seminar called Finding Happiness in a Fire Drill. And yeah. it's like by, about being a bartender and by, uh, having different experts come in on everything from health to spirituality. And talk about how to find balance because you know a lot of us were out of control to some degree. It sounds like you may have entered that that orbit. Nope, completely control. <laughs> I could always hit a fastball. You know what I mean? Like yeah. if I if I got put into the game, I'd be fine. Uh, I would just not deliver a ten out of ten. Okay, fair, fair. fair <laughs> That's fair. the thing. I was always ready to. Find. Here's another problem that I had. It was a very specific problem I had. Mm-hmm. At the time, I, I'm sure Jack in the booth could attest to this. I think it's fair to say the popular hairstyle at the time was like very very short on the sides and pretty long on the top. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay, great. Um, I'm not under, I'm not overweight because everyone got fatter, but I'm definitely not underweight. And I definitely had a one on the sides and pretty long on the top. And when I take off my glasses and I don't have a beard, I look exactly like the guy that got punched. Oh. That's a white nationalist. Ooh, yeah. So when I met you, that's how I looked. And I didn't look like that guy until January 20th. Therefore, whenever I, I was like, okay, growing the beard out nonstop, never going to have ones on the sides again. <laughs> and I'm always going to be a little tipsy. Because I'll be ready to go. Right. <laughs> so it was a very weird thing. And then this is another aside. Christian Picciolini was the head of a white nationalist group, or sorry, white power group in the late 80s, completely reformed, and is now like one of the biggest advocates against that stuff. You could hear right. him on stuff like Fresh Air and CNN and all the time. I had him on the show specifically to ask, what's the one type of facial hair I can have that screams, I'm not a white nationalist? Right. And he's like, grow an unkept beard, because if anything, people will just think you're a Hasidic Jew. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> Which I am way more in pro of than being a white nationalist. Well, you need the Pesa and that sort of thing as well, so... I just wore a Chicago Cubs hat, which could either make me be good or bad, depending on your <laughs> vote. Anyways... Back to you, and yeah. I'd like to apologize for that. But no, explain, no problem. Explain the alcoholism in all of this, because you're not an alcoholic. No. You work in an industry that uh, doesn't necessarily cater to them, because if you're a true alcoholic, you're probably not going to a fancy cocktail place. Right. Probably right. not ordering fancy cocktails. But you do have people with substance abuse. People obviously mm-hmm. drink too much every night of the week. Well, that's, I mean, our industry is the number one for substance abuse. Um, and I would say it also has an epidemic of mental health issues. Um, so we, we've seen that uh, consciousness grow around that in the last couple of years, which I think is fantastic. Now, I don't agree with you. Here's mm-hmm. why. I don't think that you're overestimating the problem. Mm-hmm. I do think there's an equal amount of substance abusers and people with mental health issues across the field. It's just that when it comes to the service industry, they're more amplified because they're more on display. Yeah, fair. That's the reason why. I was a bartender for a lot of years and I worked in education for a handful of years and I clearly work in media now. Mm -hmm. And I don't think any of those, I think of those three, pretty much even across the board. If you're, you could be an alcohol, you could be a pill popping teacher and no one knows because you're dealing with a bunch of third graders every day. Yeah, fair. Versus if I'm serving you this drink and then you could buy me the thing I'm serving you, it maybe was more out in the open. Well, there's another thing. The reason I say that is because I think it's easier to hide uh, in a uh, service industry because you're self-medicating. There's lots of drugs. There's lots of alcohol. um, There's much more... Uh, personality-driven behavior is what, you know, when we think about it, uh, people have like these larger-than-life. It's a life of a petite rock star in some ways, you know what I mean? The life of a, of a bartender, you know? They don't have the fame, but they have the sort of access to all the things that rock stars do. Do you think you would have been a bartender if you didn't want to be a writer? I don't know. That's a good question. Um, I definitely would have not if I didn't want to write. I mean, I was a doorman 
while I was in college and mm-hmm. I was like I was the the asshole kid in the corner <laughs> reading the book and smoking the cigarettes and writing the bad things about the people in the bar they're like I'll never be like you <laughs> well back then what I thought a writer was is different than what I think a writer is now back then I thought a writer is someone who lives an interesting life oh okay now I know that a writer is really just somebody who writes yes <laughs> and gets that paid for it and and that it's a really a discipline it takes time and effort and it's difficult it's very difficult um, but back then I just thought it was like being the cool guy and then scribbling it down on a page absolutely afterwards. Um, but yeah so all of this like you know, experience uh, that I went through as a bartender, watching other bartenders and watching quite some really terrible things happen in general, um, both to people and, and, and um, people, you know, just to people I know, I guess. Um, it's nice to come out on the other side of that and recognize that, you know, there are issues, whether they're equivalent to the general population. I, I don't know for sure. Yeah. But, but I couldn't say that they were prominent um, in the, the service industry and that people are addressing that is fantastic. Now, what do you think you could be doing as both uh, a peer but also a boss? Mm-hmm. What could you be doing to make this uh, a safer field to work in? Well, we did things that were at first highly unpopular. We don't have shift drinks at work. So people don't sit at the end of their shift drinking. Mm-hmm. You know, And that's what I used to do when I first bartended and even when I first owned a bar. It was very common to just drink. Yeah. You know, and, and you had to get it in. You had to get in uh, hours worth of drinking in a short period of time. And so I think that's a dangerous thing. Um, so discouraging that, making sure that people have, are aware of, of your concern in general. Um, also, I think um, we, you know, when, we have, uh, when we talk to our staff, we talk to them about those issues. We say, these are issues. We, we're not professionals to help you with this, but we are understanding human beings. And so if you have an issue around drinking, drugs, mental health, and you need to address it, talk to us. Um, and if we can help you, we will. Or we'll pass you on to professionals. too. So we also keep a lot of you know, information about how people can get help. This is a somewhat related question. Um, when you started... Marijuana was not legal in Washington, D.C. Now it is very legal, yeah. kind of, sort of. Uh, do you think that's impacted both your business and the workers? Not really. Really? Um, it's funny because I think that like there's a lot... I, definitely in terms of people trying to um, you know, make CBD a thing, and it is. Um, but in terms of the people who smoked marijuana are the same people who smoked marijuana before, for the most part. They were just doing it um, in the confines of their home and where they were less obvious yeah, about okay. it. So they were the, the employees that were coming in and smoking marijuana, the, the customers, they're all the same people for the most part. There's very few people who have been added on top of that. So what has it changed? I don't know. I, don't, I haven't seen a, a radical change. I've seen a change, but it's not necessarily a bad change. It's just mm-hmm. a different change. Um, now people are now vaping a lot, oh, right. a lot more. Yeah, where they would be smoking cigarettes mm-hmm. and being angrier and drunker. Now they're just high and mellow. That's right. I don't know if that's good or bad, but it's a know. lot different. <laughs> the vape pen is something that still like I don't know, like perplexes me. It seems so strange, but I gave up smoking a long time ago. So, Do you, your palate clearly not clearly maybe it didn't. Mm-hmm. Did your palate change when she quit smoking? Yes. Do you ever miss that palate? I'm not <laughs> oh, joking. Because stronger I mean, palate, exactly a weaker palate. Therefore, you you had to make stronger drinks to hit certain parts of your tongue. Where now you're more aware. It's more about the subtleties of okay. it. It's not really about this like wholesale change as much as it's a subtlety uh, involvement. And and really, the greatest effect of smoking on the palate is not a long term effect, but after you've had a cigarette and you go to taste something. The cigarette lingers, the flavors, the smoke all linger within your mouth. And so that's affecting the way you taste. Is there any drink? This is an unpopular question. Is there any drink that's better when you're smoking? Oh, yeah. There has to be. I mean, whiskey and cigarettes are so good together. Like, I'm anti-smoking at this point. I don't think anyone should smoke. But I'm not going to tell anyone not to smoke, you know, like to their face. I'm just generally, I I disagree with it. But, um, man. Whiskey and a cigarette is such a beautiful thing. Yeah. <laughs> so, I don't know. What are your thoughts on the use of smoke in cocktails? Oh, yeah. It's, that's become epi- an epidemic at this point. I mean, like, when you go to a bar, it like, looks like some kind of war zone with like, smoke wafting all over the place. Um, people love it. They yeah, love not, it. I don't care what people think. I want to yeah. hear what you think. Um, I, don't, 
I think it can be really fun and obviously can add flavors. So in that sense, it should be used and used um, in a discriminating manner. But um, do I order drinks with smoke in them? No. Okay. Do I order whiskey that might have like peatiness or smokiness? Yes. That's very different. Yeah. That's very different. Different. I don't necessarily want that fog wafting in my face when I get a drink. If there was one of the of the cocktails in the book, mm-hmm. if there's one that you think anyone should be able to know how to make, their go-to drink, what would that drink be? Well, I think, as I already admitted, people should drink whatever they want. But my favorite drink is the dry martini. Okay, why? And it becomes very controversial how it's made, but mine is the correct way to make it. <laughs> why is yours yeah. the correct way and everyone so, else horribly wrong? They just are. There's so many reasons for it. I, I mean, how much time do we have left? Only 15 minutes, so I don't <laughs> think we have time. No, I'm just kidding. The, the dry martini is a great drink. It, to me, is the pinnacle of cocktail culture. Um, it comes out of the golden age of cocktails. Um, it is singularly perfect to me uh, in terms of balance. I do 50-50 gin and vermouth, dash of orange bitters, stirred, cold as hell, um, and a lemon peel twist, like sprayed mm-hmm. and discarded on top. Um, I talk about that in my book. That kind of is almost the middle of my book. To me, it's like, that's it. That's mm-hmm. the thing. So if you want to learn how to make the best drink possible, I mean, it's really the drink you like the most. But I would go for the dry martini if you have no other place of reference it's also a relatively easy drink to make yeah well yes i mean yes and no like it is easy to make but also to get it to the fine fine tuned it takes a lot of skill nothing's easy to master yeah. certain things are a lot easier to present yeah that's one of the things that i talk about in in my book as well is that you know um david embry who is this writer during the 1940s um who is very consequential to the uh, revival of the cocktail movement he he is uh, he says you know making drinks is easy anyone can do it um, and I beg to differ you know like that's not true um, it is true as an entry point it's not true as uh, getting something to where it should be we have enough time for you to stock a home bar mm-hmm. is that okay with you let's sure. go through yeah, that let's do it we're gonna stock my home bar right now uh-huh. we're not we're gonna physically leave the studio this okay. is a thought exercise <laughs> of the spirits that I need what is the one thing that I should be that should always be on my shelf that I could enjoy neat or on the rocks. That's a, a good mixer as well. You know, I think the most versatile drink in that regard is probably bourbon. Okay. What specific bourbon am I buying? Well, I'm not really going to endorse a bourbon per se. I can tell you what I like to drink. That's what I want to know. Um, I like a wild Turkey, uh, rare breed when I, and I like that you said that cause that's relatively easy to find. Yeah. It's uh, a, it's a, it's a damn fine product. And, um, you know, I think bourbon is great because you can, uh, you can do everything with it. You can drink it neat. You can put it on rocks. You can uh, mix it up into a sour. You can do a highball. You can mix it with Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola is a magical mixer. It works wonderfully for them uh, with bourbon. Um, and so there's so many things you can do with it. Yeah. Vodka is clearly still the most popular spirit in the world. Mm-hmm. What's the one bottle well, of Well, actually not the most popular spirits in the world. I think really? the most po- popular spirit is either Sochu or Baiju. Okay, we'll get to that in a second. <laughs> it's the most popular spirit in America. It sells the most in America. Yeah, it's very popular. What vodka am I buying that won't offend me, a guy that prefers bourbon? Oh, you know, I don't really care. Like, vodka is all you don't care. virtually within... Pop like, off it is. Yeah. No, okay. The bad stuff is very bad, okay. you know? Um, and the good stuff uh, is relatively, like, a small amount better mm-hmm. than the middle range stuff. So, so what's the... Be- if, like, your- don't buy... Grey Goose per se, like yeah. that's not necessary. That's just expensive. Um, get Stoli, I guess. You know, Great. like that's fine. Fine. You're making. I'm going to make you a martini. What's the gin I should have on my shelf? Well, with the martini, I usually make it with either Plymouth or Tangeray Ten. Those are the Tangeray Ten. Also things. pretty easy to find. Mm-hmm. Plymouth's also easy to find. That's yeah. good. What's the vermouth I'm using? Dolan Dry Vermouth. Dolan. Well, you're using really common stuff here. You're yeah. not going like super rare. That's Do you ever preferred bitters that's readily available? You said orange bitters. Orange bitters. Yeah, they have Gary Regan's number five bitters are great. Uh, okay. the bitter Truth make orange bitters. I used to mix those two together to get the flavor profile I wanted. Um, you're mixing bitters together. Yeah, exactly. The thing people use in dash amounts. Yeah, exactly. Okay, just asking. Great. Club Soda. Uh-huh. One of the most important mixers. What are you buying in terms of club soda? Does it, it depends even on what you're okay? Oh, so good. It does matter. It does matter. Okay. So let's say you're getting like making a Ricky, right? Which yes. is DC's official cocktail. Um, you're gonna you want to use something like a little more mineral laden, a little more salty, uh, like a Polinaris. 
Apollinaris. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on Sparkling the, so- the Soda Stream stuff? Does that help or is that just Works like fine? Yeah, it just is Works. fine. It's fine. Yeah. What's it's- the most basic club soda that will go along with most everything? Oh, I don't know that like okay. stuff in the supermarket that exactly. says club soda. It's That's, fine. It doesn't matter. Yeah. So I can go to Giant. I'm fine. Yeah, it, it, I mean these are all about fine tuning details, right? Of course. Like that's what I do. I don't know if I make uh, you know like in terms of the basic drink. You know, you just fo- everyone follows the same recipe. Mm-hmm. But what we try to do at like the Columbia Room, sure. or what I try to do in my life is to fine tune it and make it better. Let's keep fine tuning things. Okay. Um, I'm a, I got a guy, I got a woman with me. They just want scotch uh-huh. and they hate cocktails. Mm-hmm. What's one scotch that I could present them that's not a Johnny Walker yeah. that they'll be like, wow, this is really great. Highland Park. Highland Park. If you can spend the money, 15. Okay. Mm-hmm. How much is that a bottle? Oh, I, I, 60, 70 probably. Oh, okay. Maybe it's more than that. I, it's, remember we buy in wholesale. So I understand. sometimes it's I understand. I understand. <laughs> that's a really good caveat. Good yeah. job. Um, Rum is one of the most difficult spirits to produce. Mm-hmm. It's also something that people uh, love with sweet drinks. So mm-hmm. what's a rum that will please the sweet tooths that want something relatively complicated? Uh, Not rum. an easy rum. El Dorado. El Dorado. El Dorado. Yeah, it's okay. got like you get El Dorado 15 again. Um, I think they have a 15. Oh, yeah, that's it. Um, that, it's delicious. It's a little rich and, and conf, not confectionary, but like sweeter. Um, but it's also, you can, you know, um, pour it with Coke if you want. It's not super expensive. Great. What's a readily available tequila? Not mm-hmm. mezcal, but a readily available tequila that is both good in shot form, because I understand cocktails are shots, but a lot of people, unfortunately, like doing shots. I don't. Mm-hmm. That would also be a good part of a cocktail. A relatively good... Readily available, too. Uh, so, I have to think about that one for a minute. Okay. Come back, let's come back to that. Let's come back to Because I, I, I have one in mind, but they can be a little expensive. So let, let me think about okay. that for a minute. Um, oh, you know what? This is the one I think. That, yes, sir. Siembra Azul. Siembra Azul. It's, um, it, it's a little more expensive. Um, it's delicious. It's by this guy named David Suero, uh, um, who is really an advocate for uh, tequila and agave products like mezcal. And um, the work he does is amazing to like, help preserve bats in Mexico and focus on the workers there. So supporting him is, is a great thing to do. You just mentioned mezcal. Let's get into the mezcal. Uh-huh. Because I am a white man in his mid-30s with a beard, of course I am super <laughs> into mezcal right now. So is the guy in the booth. We've both recently gone to Mexico City and came back with suitcases full of mezcal. Uh-huh. Uh, what should we be buying in the Washington, D.C. region when it comes to mezcal? You should go to Espita okay. and just let Megan Barnes choose it for you. No, because I want to <laughs> take it home. This is okay, a home okay. bar. You know, I'm still... And we've had Megan. I love Megan. We had a drink diary with Megan. I'm still on the uh, Delmage. Uh, Great. Uh, it's readily available. It's delicious. There's so many different expressions of the single village. Go for it. Perfect. Tonic, uh, a few years ago, it seemed like maybe two years ago, tonic seemed to have its little mm-hmm. moment in mm-hmm. Washington, D.C. Uh, is there a preferred tonic water? Um, you know, Schweppes is fine. Okay. This is fine. Great. Um, I think, you know, you can do Fever Tree and some of the other tonics and you might get more of a bite out of it. It really depends what you're going for. When it comes to wines, uh, I understand that it's totally different than what you do. Mm -hmm. Oh, I used to be a sommelier, so I I have some knowledge of wine as well. But I don't know if I can recommend wines these days. So when it comes to wines, I'm not going to ask you to recommend because it's just Mm -hmm. too difficult. What I want you to recommend is where should I buy my wines in Washington, D.C.? What's a good store? Feel free to name more than one. You know... Uh, lately, I've I've tasted a lot more like orange wine yes. and what's called natural wine, and those can be really cool. But I don't remember the name of this store. Okay, uh, it's like right on, um, uh, right off of Florida, I think. No, not Florida. What neighborhood? Oh, uh, do you know where Truxton Inn is? Yes, it's in that block. Okay. I'm so bad with directions. I, I'm embarrassed. Could you figure this out, Jack? 
just go to Truxton Inn, put it on Google Maps, find the nearest liquor store, and then start talking to us if that's okay with you, sir. Yeah, it's a wine store. It's like a natural wine store. And and I can't, I don't know, like it's such a weird location. I don't know how many people stumble upon it, but they should. Yeah. I mean, then they can try, try stuff they've never tried before. And that's what I love about it. What is one accouchement that should be on my bar that will impress everyone that's really easy to find? A lemon. That's it? That's it. Do you have a lemon or lime tree? No. Have you thought about planting one? Yes. We've, we've thought about it at the Columbia Room because we're like, that would be awesome. You've been there long enough where it would have sprouted fruit if you planted it. it, it the problem is it, it doesn't like, grow well in this area um, because yeah. it gets too cool at night. Understood. Understood. So we thought about, like, we'll put it out there. We'll bring it inside. I don't know. But a lemon can make every, like, not every drink, but most drinks better with a little peel. Jack, do you have a name? I'm assuming it's Domestique. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. it. Yeah. What's the address? They're great. Rhode Island, yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. Okay, domestic. I love that place. On Rhode Island, really near Rhode Island is what I meant. It's on 10 Florida Avenue Northwest. Sorry. There Mm -hmm. we go. Okay, so. Oh, it is on Florida. It is on Florida. Okay, I was right. I'm really bad at directions, so I was embarrassed. uh, Me too, actually. You should be embarrassed. I really (laughs) despise our public transportation, um, specifically the trains, uh, our labeling system, Mm -hmm. how we have it. I don't understand that. Why can't it just be like New York? This is uptown or this is downtown. You're going up or down. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. And I understand that like the red line makes a giant loop. So like you could, in theory, always be going north. Right. But come on. There's got to <laughs> be a slightly better way to do this. Maybe just pick a different color and have it end in the middle. And then it starts again. So like this is the fuchsia one. I know I shouldn't have said fuchsia because that's already confusing. Brendan, never go to Japan in Tokyo. That system is, that is the, so crazy. <laughs> I like Chicago where it's very clear. This is yeah. north and this is south. Or Boston, the T, that's a little easier, stuff like that. Not yeah. a fan of Boston. I'm just being, <laughs> just being me. I have nothing against Boston. I've not spent nearly enough time in Boston. If you could live anywhere in the world that is in Washington, D.C., where would you live? I really like Richmond, Virginia. Okay. I, it's not very not exotic. Not in the area. No, it's not exotic <laughs> at all. You could still live in Richmond, Virginia and <laughs> yeah, take exactly. the train every day. Uh, I don't know. I, you know, I'm a homebody. I love D.C. I think it's the best city in the planet. So, I don't What know. is one thing Washington, D.C. could do better? Um, well, there's a political answer, which is that we could, we could do better to um, kind of raise outcomes for all people in D.C. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a, obviously a racial divide that's, uh, that when it comes to outcomes, uh, education, health, all of those. I, I, that's the one thing I'm terribly embarrassed about my city. But, um, but the non-political answer, <laughs> like that's the one that's like... Give me a fun one here. <laughs> the one thing that we could do better is... Um, uh, oh, man, I don't know. We do so... You know, here's one thing that I say... People try to take a city and put everything into it. They, yeah, it's a they city. want it's supposed to. They want things that are in New York. They want things that are in Paris. They want things that are in LA. And so they get dismayed by the fact that DC is DC and its own thing. Right? We do certain things better than anywhere else, and you know that's enough for me. I don't. You know, I love the house smoke. I love that we have the Ricky as a cocktail. I love that we have an amazing dining scene. Um, I don't need it to have every element of every other city. I do. I want every <laughs> element of every... That's the whole point of the city, though. That's yeah. why I want to live in a city city. Like, I want, ev- I want to be able to get anything I want at 4 a.m. Yeah. yeah. And I know that that's rare. And Amazon's only- working on it, buddy. I understand that that's Which a little- is where you can buy my book as well. <laughs> Good plug. We should do that again. Uh, Spirit Sugar Water Bitters House Cocktail Conquered the World. Um, do you ever... You're, did you ever worry about you and alcohol? Yeah. Yeah, I, I would say that uh, there were times when I, I drank too much. And I've gotten to the point where I actually don't drink that much anymore. Yeah, how often are you drinking? Uh, two drinks a week, maybe. That's not a lot. Yeah, it used to be a lot more. Does and that dismay people when they find out? I hope not. Okay. I mean, because this, you know, this book is not like me drinking with you. This yeah. is my knowledge. Um, but, but yeah, I guess that some people, you know, I used to drink, like I said, a lot more. Sure, sure. And, um it was maybe right for being younger, um, sure. but now that I'm a little older and I have a, ch- a child and that sort of thing, it, it changes everything. Would you be, would you have any feeling, any, any direction if your child wanted to go in the same field as you? Oh, I'd tell him not to be a bartender. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like every father wants them to, I, you know, actually, I don't know. I think a lot of investment bankers aren't telling their kids not to be an investment. Oh banker. yeah. Okay. Fair. Well, you know, he's four and a half. He's an amazing baseball player. He says he wants to be a baseball player when he grows up. He's asked me to attend every game. Baseball players have no substance abuse problems. I'm sure he'll be fine. (laughs) 
Do you trust? This is a serious question, but you don't have to answer it seriously. Obviously, that's everything ever. Um, do you trust people that don't drink? Yes. Do you trust people that don't drink but never drink? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I know that there's a lot of like kind of funny quotes around that, but uh, I wasn't going for the funny quote thing. I'm just thinking about it. Um, but you know, my you know, I've worked with people who don't drink, um, and it really. You know, drinking doesn't make somebody necessarily have more fun or be more sociable or open. I think at best, when you're happy, it um, maybe amplifies that a little bit. Um, But I think that ultimately a person can, you know, not drink and be happy and even hang out at a bar. I love that, like, non-alcoholic drinks and um, what's usually called mocktails, which is an awful word that people have to stop using. What should be the word? Uh, I don't know. No proof proof-free, whatever the drink is called. That's fair. You know, like, I think ultimately, you know, if I'm drinking now and I am out, maybe my third drink, I'd like to be a non-alcoholic drink and not just Coca-Cola, although Coca-Cola is perfect. (laughs) Are you getting paid by Coca-Cola? I have been paid by by Coca-Cola before, Uh, so so in all fairness, but they're not paying me now to endorse it. (laughs) Do you think there should be a different price point for no-proof cocktails? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't think they should. I mean, some cocktails uh, are reasonably, and I know this is unreasonable to most people, but getting eighteen dollars, it's based on the product and the quality. That's I get that. Okay, let's. But let's, I, no non-alcoholic drink, I, I think, should be up at eighteen dollars, unless let, it's got something that I, I don't know about. I think we should talk about averages because it's the only way to really okay. do it. And I understand. Uh, let's qualify it. Yeah, like regardless of the spirits, what should be the average cocktail price in Washington D.C. I understand that there are lots of variables. I think fourteen, fifteen dollars. Fourteen, fifteen dollars, fine. Fourteen, fifteen dollars for a for a well-made unquote, cocktail. Well-made, not, not like a rail. Understood. Understood. And not like understood a, for a quote-unquote regular cocktail. Mm-hmm. What should a quote-unquote regular mocktail, which is a term you don't like? Yeah. How much should that cost? Um, I can see it getting up to eight dollars. So half. Yeah. Half. I think it should always be half. Yeah. Um, I want to say. Um, Jack, I might need you to help me out with this. There's this restaurant in South Carolina that um, Sean Brock has. Oh, yeah. Uh, Husk. Yeah. Thank you, Husk. Husk has the best mocktail menu I've uh-huh. ever seen because it's just as in-depth, and it's literally half the price. And I think that that's more than fair. It might be less than half the price. Jack, Probably because he stopped drinking. That's the thing. That's, right, that's yeah, where yeah. I'm getting at. Yeah, yeah. But I think it's because he was a drunk. Yeah. That is that he actually cares about this stuff more than somebody that never drank. Oh, now, absolutely! In yeah. No way am I advocating everyone should be three drinks in all the time. Right. Absolutely not. I think two to three drinks a week is ideal. Yeah. That's that's the best possible way to live because you're not saying no to everything and you're not saying yes to everything. Right. You're not doing anything overboard. You're not denying. And if we had people that did drink a lot that now do two to three a week, organizing a really well done no proof menu that was reasonably priced. We would have people that maybe associate alcohol with alcoholism right. at cocktail bars, right. and we would normalize the societal goodness that could be drinking. Absolutely, that was a soapbox moment. That was I amazing. Apologize. Yeah, I, are we? Is that like the end? Because that's apparently perfect. this is the end for our segment. Though <laughs> I am very happy that I will be able to see you next week at National Geographic because you, well, well not you, Columbia Room, the Columbia Room, yeah, Columbia Room will be part of our next Nat Geo event at uh, the Nat Geo Museum. It's mm-hmm. going to be very fun. Will you be there? I'm not trying to put you under the bus. Uh, you have a child. I'm not no sure. One. Yeah, yeah I'm not sure. I'm, no, that's but we will be thing. there in spirits. Oh God! Come on. Do you know? Please tell me Coca Cola is part of what you're making that day. (laughs) No, but I'll be drinking a Coke at home probably. Diet Coke. Are you a Diet Coke person? Well, reluctantly, I'd rather. No, 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 not reluctant. I'm just asking. Yeah. What do you think of all the brand new? Like, this is the orange Diet. This is the blood orange Diet Coke. Oh, Oh, even crazier than that, they have a new line of signature mixers coming out. Just for bars. It's released in Europe. I'm sure it'll be released here at some point. What are your thoughts? Go for it. If it's good, it's good. Good stuff you, is good you stuff. You haven't had it yet. Yeah, I have not. Oh, okay. So you yet. can't speak to it. So. What are your thoughts on Topo Chico? Uh, I like it. Yeah, I, I mean, think, didn't Coca Cola just buy it? Like, yeah, a year ago? that's like the, that's the it water. That's the water everyone drinks. Oh man, I had it two years ago at a music festival. Uh-huh. I am such an asshole right now. I drank so much of that stuff. I loved it. Anyways, <laughs> this is now. I really want Topo Chico to sponsor my life. Okay, I'll go to bat for them any day of the if week. If I come across the Topo Chico rep, I'll let them know. Listen, I will not help sales at all, <laughs> but I will definitely advocate for them. Uh, you're a well-educated man, and. Uh, you speak about cocktails in a way that makes me want to drink cocktails, which I, I hope is a compliment. Thank you. And um, 
one of the best bars in the world, one of my favorite bars I've ever been to, Columbia Room, one of the most popular bars in Washington, D.C. What is your next theme for the pop-up bar? Uh, well, Boston's we've already released just, it. It's, it's eSports. 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 All right. I'm trying to be real nice here, sir. <laughs> eSports it is. I'm currently wearing a Chicago Bulls shirt. <laughs> eSports. NBA 2K will be part of it. That's cool. Oh, see, now you got my interest back. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Esports. <laughs> the man that owns the Columbia Room is going to have an esports pop up bar. You know, this is a thing in DC. Don't DC have... is becoming like a, a, a corridor for esports. Here's all I'm going to say about you don't put people in a box. Just yeah. when you think they're going to go one way, they might go the other. That's right. I should never think this is going to happen. <laughs> We're going to say goodbye to you before I say anything that could make you hate me. <laughs> I'm going to come back with Jack in like a few minutes and we'll do best we can bets and we'll get right out of here. All right. Thank you. What is this? It's uh, our good friend Kuyo in Austin. I like this. This song is called uh, Red Sand Rhythm. Do you know how he made it? What do you mean? Like what program he used? Did he use a program? Are any of these acoustic? No. Or, no, no, that's no, what no. I was wondering. This would all be um, sample-based, electronic. Because he's very detailed with his production. Some of this stuff sounds... I won't, don't, I'm not using the word natural in a bad way, but you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Samples for sure. But he's uh, he is... Um, He's young. It's amazing watching him make music. He kind of does it like somebody would play a video game, if that makes any sense to you. I do. I actually do know. Under- and hey, yeah. good job connecting it with our yeah. most recent guest, Derek Brown. Esports. Baby. Esports. <laughs> you know what I realized as I was thinking about my reaction to that? Which, from a business point of view, esports is not a bad idea. No, no. I was thinking, like, I shouldn't make fun of this, even though my initial reaction is to make fun of it, because, number one, that's just, like, it's sort of punching down, but also it's, like, calling Star Wars, like, nerd culture. Totally it is. It's just culture, man. It's the biggest friend. It's totally right. The Avengers isn't nerd culture. It's just culture. Right. (laughs) What is wrong with me that I'm just going to jump straight into negativity? What are you going to do? I see a therapist. That's what I'm going to (laughs) do. I see a therapist once a week. And this doesn't come up often, actually. No, it doesn't. I don't Is that talk. Your best weekend bet. I, we just usually do my best weekend bets. See a therapist on Friday. <laughs> no, I see my ther- I usually see my therapist before I see you, and then oh wow! Therefore, Thursday is my most talkative day. Yeah, really. But uh, early, I saw her yesterday, so uh, I'm all talked out now. I'm a Wednesday therapy guy. Are you really? Yes. Night or day? Day. Boy or girl? A woman. <laughs> gotcha. Uh, in person or, or uh, in person? Okay. Why are you making it weird now? In per- D- DC or uh, out of the district? DC. Is it was it hard to find a person? Yes. Yeah, it's that's that's tough. It's tough. 
we've been talking a long time on BYT. Like, should we do like a therapy guide? Should we do like how to find the right therapist? But the answer is no. Because you can't, you never know. Right. It's true. There's not, it's not a one size fits all. No, it's not like you should definitely get a friend recommendation. Sometimes that's the worst possible way. Yeah, yeah. Recommendations from other therapists have not worked out for me in any way whatsoever. Uh, A therapist through uh, an insurance provider has worked out for me and has not worked out for peers. You never know, guys. The point is this Thursday, our picks are therapy. (laughs) No, no, no. That's not what we want to recommend. Uh, This week on Bright Shunk Things, our uh, best weekend bets are Star Wars themed because it's the first week of May, and a certain day in May makes people think of the Force. Get it? Yeah. Fantastic. Anyways, Thursday. Uh, one of the best uh, art events of the year, powwow. When I say of the uh, art events, I mean like outdoor. Anyone could see it. Powwow uh, begins this weekend. What's kind of good about powwow is, um, yes, uh, it's only ten days, and some of this art will be painted over uh, quite quickly. But some of this stuff will maintain for years to come. I still see stuff from powwow 2017 in Noma every time I go to Noma. So. We're going to recommend Powwow this week. We're also going to recommend uh, the DC Moth Story Slam at Miracle Theater. Uh, Miracle Theater has been doing a a handful of interesting shows, so we're going to recommend that. And also, uh, one more chance to see Ronnie Spector at Wolf Trap. Ronnie Spector, famously of uh, the Ronettes. Um, Read any biography of Phil Spector and learn about Ronnie Spector because she is... Quite amazing. Friday, moving on. I'm doing my show at the Wonderland Ballroom, so I'm clearly going to recommend that. That's a really good lineup because I have one of the artists that had the most successful and most thought-provoking exhibit at the Umbrella exhibit. Uh, she did the room about SNAP, uh, the government-assisted food program, and uh, uh, it was the only art piece in that program to, that actually dealt with what that building actually represented before the building. So. Uh, I'm excited to talk to her. Uh, the editor of CQ Roll Call will be there. And then uh, Haywood Turnip C. Jr. will be there. So that's Friday night at the Wonderland Ballroom. Please come to that. Burning Man comes to the mall, sort of, with catharsis on the mall. That starts on Friday and continues through Sunday. So if you ever wanted to burn stuff on the National Mall within a reason, this is your time to do it. We're going to also recommend Transceiver Radio, which kicks off tomorrow at Transformers. So uh, two-ish, uh, three-ish art-related events for Friday. Moving on to Saturday... Uh, of course, it's May the 4th, so we're going to recommend the 2019 National Math Festival. You guys like math? There's a festival for that. Go to that. We're going to also recommend the 10th Annual Kingman Island Bluegrass and Folk Festival. Yeah. Will you be there? No, I'm going to be in Chicago. You'll be in Chicago. Yes. So James Beard Awards stuff. So jealous. I know. Well, no, the Bluegrass Festival will be great. It'll also feature uh, Odetta Hartman, a good friend of mine whose records I produced, so check that out that is probably the most family friendly festival in washington dc that isn't a family festival yeah it's not for kids but you could bring your kids sure could they let me co they let me co-host a stage one year i remember you telling me this. i was very very good happy first year to rocket frog they're a brewery so that's saturday beer bluegrass and bros at the math festival clearly the math festival moving on to sunday uh the Wonderland Ballroom's best event of the year, the Sundress Fest. It's always a charity. That is on Sunday at the Wonderland Ballroom. Come back to BYT on Monday for photos from that. We're also going to recommend um, Professors and Pints Bats Tequila's Friends program. Uh, it's Cinco de Mayo, and we already discussed with Derek about the bats and the tequila, and they all relate, so we're going to recommend that. And then finally, we're going to recommend... Uh, Cinco de Mayo's celebration on the roof of Rock and Roll Hotel, which is very different than learning about bats and tequila. Jack, you're going to be in Chicago. I'm very, very jealous. I just realized the Cinco de Mayo thing. That's right. Yeah. Sunday. It's going to be May the 4th and Cinco de Mayo. What a weekend. Wow. We did it, everybody. Yeah, no, I'll, be, I'll be in Chicago at the Freehand um, DJing an event for um, actually a Brothers and Sisters Line DC takeover of the Freehand. We have Eric Bruner Yang and P. Shea Ong, who is the James Beard nominated pastry chef here at Brothers and Sisters. They're doing an afternoon tea event. I'll be DJing it and uh, interviewing people. On Sunday? On, I'll be DJing Saturday for that event, and I'm inter- doing interviews all Saturday and Sunday. When are you back? I'm back Monday night. So you'll be here for next Thursday. I will. When we have BYT Radio, and the guest will be the gentleman that is a his new exhibit all about Fugazi's connections. Oh, that looks awesome. Uh, it's in Mount Pleasant. So I'm very excited to talk to him about that. Even if you're not a Fuga- fan of Fugazi, I think you'll be interested in that conversation. I want to thank Derek Brown. That was a, that was a fun chat today. 
Um, two weeks in a row, we talked about alcohol. This week, I didn't do a shot yeah, and get tipsy you. on one <laughs> shot. Jesus Christ. Anyways, thanks for listening. Come to the Wonderland Ballroom tomorrow night. We'll see you there. See Jack in Chicago. Have a wonderful night. Thanks for listening to this program on Full Service Radio, broadcasting and recording from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Full Service Radio programming can be accessed live and archived on fullserviceradio.org. Our talk programming is available on most podcast apps like iTunes and Stitcher, and our DJ sets are available on mixcloud.com slash fullserviceradio. Full Service Radio features over 30 weekly shows and over 50 local hosts covering every topic imaginable. If you want to be a guest or get involved, email us at info at fullserviceradio.org. Follow us on Twitter at FullServiceRDO, on Instagram and Facebook at Full Service Radio. Thanks for listening. So...